This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name's Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, I'm just checking the thing there. On what time we're I'm at? Checking the pulse on the contraption. Okay. All right. Now, this, suddenly my, my, my handwriting totally changed here. I don't know who wrote this. Who wrote this? It must have been you. Did you I write that? I don't recall writing that. Mixing genetics? I don't know. It seems like we've talked about that. So Yeah. So the, the, the local ghost or something like that? Okay. Um, uh, we talked about the five plots. Uh, oh, uh, Joseph has a lot to say about uh, the phrases open pollinated and heirloom. So I people ask me about open pollinated seeds frequently, and t- to me that's kind of like a cuss word because... <laughs> What open pollinated means emotionally to people is that they don't really know who's the daddy. You know, that the daddy could be anything. But in actual practice, what open pollinated has come to mean is, is, it's very inbred. It's very specific. We do everything in our power we can possibly do to prevent Diversity. Diversity, to prevent it from actually being open-pollinated. Um, on my farm, I use the term promiscuously pollinated to describe what what I'm doing because I really don't know who's the daddy, and I really don't care. Um, and, and so heirlooms are taking that purity, open-pollinated mentality and saying we're going to preserve this variety exactly as it was 50 or 100 years ago. Mm. And I don't care about that. Mm. I want to a variety that works for today's bugs, for today's weather conditions, for today's what people like today. And so I might be preserving the genetics from 20, 100, 1,000 heirloom varieties, but I'm not preserving a particular arrangement of those genetics. Right. So you might also be growing something that's really, really good for a property in Georgia. Right. But you're exactly. in Utah with flea beetle problems. <laughs> exactly. And, and so it's kind of like uh, it's it's going to suck, but you're going to preserve that suckiness no matter what. Exactly. Uh, people send me tomato seeds as gifts. I mean, I get hundreds of packets of tomato seeds as gifts in a year. Mm-hmm. 95% of them fail in my garden for whatever reason. They're too long season. They don't like the cold nights or the bugs. or And they're for Georgia. They're for Alberta. They're for wherever they are, but not for my garden. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I heard somebody else make that criticism, particularly heirloom tomatoes have become such a thing, such a foodie thing, that people have been saying exactly what you're describing. Mm -hmm. It's it's not about preserving an heirloom. (laughs) Uh You know, leaning more towards land race is how we should be going for 
Well, there we did the shit thing. Yes. <laughs> we did the shit but thing. I, I, I mean, <coughs> heirlooms are good for where they're good. I mean, if if you have a sentimental attachment to the story, then grow the heirloom. You know, but the first thing I do when a variety comes to my garden, I throw away the name, I throw away the story. Because I'm most interested in life today, life tomorrow. And whatever happened 100 years ago, 50 years ago, I, I don't care. You asked me to write down this phrase, we have lost 1,000 heirloom varieties. Right. I, I hear that, that kind of comment all the time. Oh, we've lost a thousand heirloom varieties. And I'm like, I don't care. Because <laughs> I'm growing every single year, I generate 5,000, 10,000 new varieties of sweet corn on my farm. You know, I could select any one of those plants and make a new variety out of it. So I don't care if we lose a thousand varieties of sweet corn. Because I. I grow that more than that every year. Or you don't That's want it? You, why don't you uh, uh, send me the next thousand? I'll plant them around, and then uh, I'll have a, a, a hybrid of sorts of all of them right. in a few years. <laughs> and, and my sweet corn originally had like 200 varieties in it. You know, that was heirlooms. That was modern, the most elite of the elite. You know, they're all creoled together and and mixed up and it works really good that way and I've been selecting for plants that are resistant to skunks and raccoons you know because <laughs> that's what that's what you have yeah that's what I have in my garden so the first year I selected for resistance to um, pheasants you know and more recently it's been to resistance for skunks and raccoons there we go so uh, I got a note here that um, there's this organization called Monsanto, and they think you're awesome, and they love you. <laughs> Thank and you very they, much. And they send you, they send you uh, 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 special love messages, and they've got uh, a group of people uh, who who fashion the love messages just perfectly to get to you with the, the best possible impact. <laughs> uh, their Their department of sending love notes is called the USDA. Correct. <laughs> okay. And uh, uh, and so they contact you periodically, and what do they say? They uh, how oh. do they express their love for you? Oh, they don't like mm. it that I I send seeds overseas, and that people overseas send seeds to me. So why would they be upset about that? I think. Oh wait, no. I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. I think it's obvious why they would be upset about that. I'm sorry. Are you Monsanto? No. Then that's not okay. Right. Um, and it's kind of like, but they're going to make up an excuse as to Correct. you know. And so what's their excuse? Oh, I could uh, destroy the potato industry in Idaho. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did, uh, be, because don't you know that Idaho is growing one clone of potato? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. 
<clears throat> it's called the McDonald's French fry potato. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So at least French fries at McDonald's actually do come from potatoes. Right. That much we know, <laughs> which is, I think, a good thing. That's that's at least for now. That uh-huh. I'm sure that'll change. They'll find a way to make French fries out of a barrel of oil. Right. And so that way they can bypass. <laughs> I mean, rubbing dirt on that. Who wants food that's been rubbed in dirt? Did we not learn anything from the potato famine? I just don't. Just, <laughs> yeah. It's just so sad. Did we not? All right. Do we have anything else to say about um, the love notes from Monsanto and the I, Department of Love Notes? I don't spend much effort paying attention to what they do. Okay. Because I'm growing in my garden the same way I'm always growing, regardless of what happens in the in the bigger world. Yeah. And... And I surround myself with people that are growing the same way, so it doesn't really matter to me. I mean, I think um, Sepp Holzer stopped selling seeds because it just got to be too much of a government hassle. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then I I know that we've got this new thing called a seed library, which I think is just brilliant. And uh, what a so the for those of you that never heard of the seed library. Uh, the idea is is that you can go uh, for Missoula. It's actually at the public library. Nice. Yeah, and so you go to the library, and then you can uh, pick up a packet of seeds, and then what you're going to do is you're going to um, bring back like a couple of packets the next year. Uh-huh. Um, uh, so I, I just think that that's an amazing and brilliant, and at the same time, I can't help but think that um, there might be some people that will issue love notes That'll be like, no, I want you to love only me. Um, There's been plenty of those kind of love notes going around. Yeah. (laughs) I'm worried about the love notes getting out of hand. That there might be legally required love notes or uh, Uh, something like that. Yeah. So, which just kind of takes the love out of it, really, once it's legally required, you know. Um, (laughs) uh, All right. Uh, Next one is, is, um, you have a story about uh, your pear tree which grew from seed. Yeah, so I have one pear tree that grew from seed and it has a bitter skin on it while it's growing and so that bitterness stays in the skin the whole time until the fruit is super ripe and then it disappears. And I am so sorry. That's, is and that your pocket singing to me? <laughs> it's a it's a quiet. It's my thing. time to go running, don't mm-hmm. you know? Uh, there we go. So you can do that. I'll wait here. Uh, <laughs> you might say something I don't approve of in the podcast. <laughs> oh, I will. I, I promise. <laughs> so anyway, when, when the, the when, tree, it, when the pear tree gets super ripe, then it. It tastes really good, but the benefit of that is that that pear tree can be grown organically because the skin on it is resistant to bugs. I've never had a a fruit fly, a worm, bug bites in that at all. And so it's just a beautiful combination that happened from a seed-grown plant. So are you taking all those pear seeds and are you planting them everywhere and... I, I do what I can. Okay, all right, all right, all right. 
So so basically, um, when the when the pear is not yet ripe, mm-hmm. and on other pear trees, the bugs are destroying the pears. Right. But on this particular pear tree, then the bugs go chomp, and they go, oh, that's damn nasty. Uh-huh. And they spit it out, and they're like, what the fuck is they it? I thought it was a pear. Right. And and then they're going, they're, they, they say, I'm getting away from this because it's so awful. Um, uh-huh. It's probably trying to poison me. Somebody probably sprayed this tree with toxic <laughs> gift. And, and then it leaves to go and annoy somebody else's pear tree. Right. And then, all of a sudden, bing, the pears are ripe. Only the bugs are busy elsewhere because uh-huh. now everything's ripe, <laughs> and and so then you can go and, and harvest and eat and and uh, yum 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 right. yum yum, and and that skin no longer tastes damn nasty. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. That is an amazing story, and I think everybody listening to this podcast wants all of your seeds. <laughs> uh, you also uh, wanted to tell me something about there are apple trees in your area. There are a lot of apple trees that came from seed, and so what do you have to say about those? They're fun because they're, they're got lots of different flavors and textures and ripen at different times of year and so there's a lot that said that anytime you try to grow an apple tree from seed there's only a 1 in 20,000 chance that it will be edible no 1 in 20,000 chance that it will be suitable for grocery store production that's probably what the number really ought to be and and, 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 I, and, and I think you are correct and in fact I'll take it one step farther there's only a 1 in 20,000 chance that it could possibly outcompete and red delicious. <laughs> in the, well, I think red delicious is, doesn't show up very often anymore, but uh. maybe it does. But it'll outcompete something that's currently in the grocery store. Like it'll be so, it has to be so much better than what's already right. being carried uh-huh. that you know, because the consumer is kind of like, oh, I like these three kinds of apples. Mm-hmm. And so then, if you bring in a whole new variety, they already know that they don't like that because it isn't one of the three. Right. So it's got to be so good that it'll outcompete what people are used to. Right. And so it's like, I think that what they're trying to say, there's only a 1 in 20,000 chance. And it has to have a good shelf life. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Um, and, the, and the color has to be perfect and on right. and on. Yeah. Right. As, a, as opposed to like, uh, uh, you can oftentimes grow uh, like fruit, you could grow fruit that tastes better than any of those, but it doesn't have a good shelf life. Right. And, and, um, and some, then, some of my wild trees are like that. The, the most delicious flavored apple that I know of is that way, and it has a shelf life of a week or two, mm-hmm. you know, and you have to eat it in the summer instead of in the, you know, it's not going to keep for the winter. Mm-hmm. I always like yellow transparents, which I don't think you could possibly get a yellow transparent in a grocery store, because they, it's like, for, they're the first apple of the year. Right. And then you pick it, and you've got about a day. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> but it's a wonderful right. apple outside of that. Right. But definitely not a keeper. Definitely not a winter keeper. It's not going to make it to August. Um, all right. doop 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 uh, I got a note here about something you want to say about walnuts from seed. So, it's the same thing. I mean, I've been working on growing walnuts from seed. My family before me has been working on it. And just generation after generation, we're selecting for winter hardiness in, in my valley. And 
so we're extending the range of walnuts, you know, one valley, one a half a climate zone, so to speak. But I'll take what I can get. Yeah. How long before they produce? Um, I'm within a couple of years from the third generation producing seeds now. That's that's quick for a nut tree, isn't it? No, it's been it's been oh, decades. Oh, oh, I mean, oh, 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 okay. decades. I was gonna go wait, what? A two years? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No. Okay. Next note is how long do seeds last? It depends. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta say yeah. that if I'm on Purbys, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's right. right. We haven't said it often enough in this podcast. Uh-huh. So, so some things like uh, carrots and onions, if you just store them on a shelf, will last a year, two, or three. But they're descending. What's that vocabulary word that you said? kinetically oh asymptotic asymptotically so so even after a long time something might still germinate so just because seeds old yeah don't have to presume that it's totally gone one percent germination rate after like for onions you probably have a one percent germination rate in five years five years or something yeah but but that's still one percent and if i have a bottle full of seeds one percent of a bottle full of seeds is a lot of onions. Yeah. You know, and other things like melons and corn and beans, five or ten years on the shelf. Um, if I want to refrigerate them or put them in a freezer, it basically extends the life indefinitely. Um, probably, probably double or triple. Probably not no, indefinitely. Lo- you think it'll be? You think like? Well, well like forty years, and that's eighty well, percent germination. The the math of it is. Um, 18 degrees Fahrenheit, lowering doubles the life life expectancy. Okay. So, however that math works out. Okay. All right. All right. <clears throat> so each 18 degrees you go down doubles it. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. D- doubles the previous. The previous. Right. And then as we were talking about earlier, you get into the um, tropical, tropical stuff. And there. All bets are off on the tropical yeah, stuff. Yeah, like like a seed might last two months, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or three months, not right. not years. So and um, for for best seed storage of common garden veg- vegetables, dark, cold, and dry are the the criteria that enhance seed storage. Okay. <clears throat> um. Okay, so so now I've got another page. So like like while we were talking and I was making notes, Jocelyn went off to another room and got a whole new piece of paper and started making more notes in giant font. And so here we're on to the next page of it says barefoot and running. So you grow, you must grow uh, plants that have bare feet and they're running plants. <laughs> no, it's just some other cool things about mm-hmm. Joseph. Okay. So about a year ago, I took up running, and a few months into running, I decided I should be running barefoot, and so I started running barefoot, and then before I knew it, I was living barefoot, and I love to run. I love being barefoot. 
And that's all I have to say right now about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and, and even in the winter, you go barefoot. I lot. did. Um, I learned by running around barefoot in the winter and in the snow that I have limits. And so I've learned to respect those limits. But they're a lot lower than I would have thought just in general. Yeah. The next note is selling squash versus seeds. Yeah. So let's talk about selling muskmelons instead of seeds. Okay. Because <laughs> that, that makes my comparison a little more clear. So if I go to the farmer's market and I have a beautiful muskmelon that's smelly and sweet, and I can sell that for two or three bucks. But it has $20 worth of seeds in it. And the muskmelon is going to be basically compost at the end of market if I don't sell it. Well, I'll make wine out of it, but whatever. <laughs> if, you if you don't sell it, you can fish the seeds out. Yeah, but but if I but it it has twenty dollars worth of seeds in it, and the seeds will last for years. Right. And so economically. It doesn't really make sense for me to sell vegetables at the farmer's market when I could be selling seeds. Um, but I still take the seconds to the farmer's market. I mean, they're they're much better than anything you could get from the grocery store, but they're, they're small fruits or they have something I don't like about the shape or the color or whatever. So you haven't selected them for seeds for yourself, so... Right, so I might as well sell them it rather than... Yeah. yeah. And so your, your primary business model is seeds. Correct. But you sell some produce, too. Uh-huh. And, and that's very different. I think most people think, oh, I'm going to farm, I'm going to sell produce. You know, but basically... Because of the processing required to, you know, get the seeds storable and shippable and mm-hmm. stuff, you're, that's a value-added product. Yes, it is. Oh. Hey, here's a great idea. Why don't you record a podcast and tell people about this thing that you're doing? <laughs> <laughs> then there'll be a thousand competitors, and then your business model is fucked. <laughs> well, since we're doing a business model, I'll just give you the URL for my... Yes. Which is Fired. the next big giant <laughs> message from Jocelyn. Yes. So garden.lofthouse.com and I'll have my seed list up there and come visit. Plant some of my seeds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and we'll still um, we'll put a link to that in the in the podcast stuff too. So, um, but I think um, I think. No, I think it's not a risk that people compete because I think we need more of this in each community, each um, climate zone, each region, each neighborhood. And, and I mean, that's part of what you're going to be talking about, food security. Right. And, and this is what we need more of. We want more people doing this. Uh-huh. Yeah. Not that they should. I don't. Right? I, yeah, I don't <laughs> think that there's any there's any risk uh, to to you. And in fact, the more interest there is in it, then I think that the better your particular business well, will do. Well, because people will that, want to seed the crazy once in a while. <laughs> one thing that's really surprised me about my crops is they do really well in the south. And the reason is they come up. They burst out of the ground, 
they grow like crazy so that they can produce a crop in my cold climate and they do the same thing down south and then they die but they've already harvested a crop so who cares if the plant dies if you've harvested a crop off of it you know I, I might not have the disease resistance the blight resistant but it doesn't matter if you can get a crop yeah. you know and so that that's the one area that's really surprised me that my seeds have done really well is just in warmer areas that yeah, the heat might kill them off, but they're acclimated to such a short season that mm-hmm. they've already produced before the heat might kill them off. Right. Huh. Cool. And, and so then you can plant two crops, where I'm only planting one at my place. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's on the list, but there was something that you mentioned to me about, um, and and I I was thinking like, man, that is that is so true, and that was about uh, people who come and and help um, <laughs> and i and i th- i don't know if you had woofers if you, if you had you could call them that if you okay, want yeah but, but it's, there's people that are kind of like you know i i they're, they're probably saying like i love your work i want to come and hang with you and like you know I'm, i want to hang with you enough that i can become you and whatever else <laughs> and uh, uh so they they come and um and then you note something about aptitude right well Either you're a farmer or you're not. <laughs> I, I mean, either you're you're a self-starter or you're not. And I, I mean, I mean, maybe there's gray areas in between because I hate to be extremist, but there's there's some folk where they um they they keep up with you and and uh. uh they are a true help. Right. Right. They just have a, they have a natural whatever mm-hmm. to be doing this, and they seem to get it and they understand, and they're, you know, and and, then, and they teach me. I mean, sure. Yeah. 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 That's always nice. And and then there's the rest, which is <laughs> damn near everybody, which is uh, uh, at the end of the day, you got less done than if you'd have been just by yourself. Correct. Yeah. And so um, those people are learning, and uh, they've got a ways to go uh-huh. on, on learning. <laughs> uh, but it, it is. It's, it's, aptitude might be a good word, or being a natural. Uh-huh. You know, some, uh, and, and it does seem like a lot of people are kind of like, um, what do you want me to do now? What do you uh-huh. want me to do now? I don't want to do that. <laughs> Can we take a break now? You know, and and uh, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas other people, it's like um, you you can tell them something in 30 seconds, and they understood what you said, uh. and uh, not a problem. They're all over it, and they do a great job. In fact, they might even do some things that you hadn't thought of, and it's like, <laughs> what did you do there? You teach teach that to me. Uh. Whereas, yeah, um, and I think you mentioned the word that um, it's like. There was, it was kind of funny because the same the same ratio came up a couple of times. Uh, one out of ten uh-huh. seems to have an aptitude for this, right? And then um, uh, uh, the rest they do like one tenth of the work of any of a, somebody with aptitude. Uh-huh. And so it's like there's a there's a clear <laughs> difference. There's a big a big difference. It's not well, like oh they work half as much. No, it's it's they do about a tenth of somebody uh-huh. who has aptitude. Right. Yeah. And and so Well I, I, I laugh at people sometimes and it's 
maybe arrogant of me, but I go to somebody's house and they have this little tiny rinky-dink garden in their backyard, and they say, oh, my garden is such a burden to me, it's so... And I look at it and say... Dude, that's 15 minutes work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. All right. Uh, let's see. What do we got up next year? Um, oh, uh, here's here's a note that I made that has nothing to do with you or annual seeds, although you did throw some seed stuff into it as I was talking to you about it, and that is uh, there's this guy named Matt, and he has a place called Feral Farm, although I don't... When we were there, I'm not, it wasn't much of a farm, but I could see it getting to be that way someday. But very moist climate, uh-huh. but also kind of cold. Um, and uh, and I can't. And he had a bunch of different places where he did a bunch of different species. And I'm just going to pick something and say it, and it may not even be that. Good. But I want to say, uh, like like what he did was he uh, for one experiment he may have ordered 40 different raspberry canes uh-huh. and from probably 20 different suppliers. Right. And and he planted them all and basically said, good luck, you're on your own. He was all about that. About I, I love that kind of attitude. And, and then, of course, whoever survives, then they're going to be, um, uh, you know, Replanted and transplanted, and you're gonna get the, you know, you're gonna spread them. You're gonna, uh-huh. you're gonna divide and conquer and take over the world with them, and right. and, and uh, continue on. But that, that's basically a form with with raspberries. That's a form of cloning. Mm-hmm. Then, um, then you said something about how on one occasion that you planted seed, and it wasn't, and I guess you planted might not be the right word. But you had a raspberry which started from seed. Correct. Yeah, and, and it, it, it just showed up in my raspberry patch, and it was different than its parents. Mm. And and just because I was paying attention, I could say, "Ha, huh, you're different. You're most likely seed grown." Okay. And and so one of these days, I need to put a flag around that and move it somewhere else because it produces fruit about two weeks earlier than the rest of the patch. And so at that point, I can identify it and move it somewhere else. Get a new patch going. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and then we kind of got to the thing, because when you start plants from seed that are perennials, mm-hmm. there's usually a different story for those. And um, most perennials need some level of scarification, Mm-hmm. Um, apples don't need scarification, but they need cold stratification. Right. Um, so there's, and then uh, and then what we did was the little mental exercise of like, let's pretend that there's no such thing as Google. We don't have any books. <laughs> We're gonna guess uh-huh. at, at like what does it take to start a raspberry from seed? And of course, the first guess is is like you eat it. <laughs> <laughs> well, more than that, you eat it and you poop it. Just right. right. <laughs> <laughs> But we were thinking that there's going to be some, like wherever raspberries normally start from seed, mm-hmm. that there's going to be some critter there that has just the right digestive tract so that a bunch of raspberries make it all the way through to the other end with mm-hmm. just the right amount of scarification right? and uh, coming in a fertilizer packet. Because birds are going to have uh, rocks in their gullets to... Bust it up. Yeah. Uh-huh. They're going to scarify 
not because they're thinking like, oh, I want to plant seeds with my butt. <laughs> That's not what they're thinking. They're thinking, I want to get the deliciousness out of that seed, and that seed will never grow at all. Right. That's what they're thinking with all the stuff in their gullet, and uh-huh. I want to pulverize that seed. And um, and so now it's it's possible that that while the bird eats up uh, a million seeds, that maybe a few hundred make it out the poop chute, mm-hmm. uh, complete with a fertilizer packet to help that seed get a good start. Right. So you could put a couple of fence posts in your garden to make a perch for the birds to. Plant them right where you want them. Plant seeds here. <laughs> yeah, but the yes. trick is, is like for a raspberry, which critter is the critter that scarifies it just right? right. Uh-huh. And and that's the challenge. So you're going to have all these different critters in your area, but chances are none of them are the one with the magic innards to to you know make but, it. But but the thing about seeds is they're diverse. They li- they live on a spectrum rather than a black and white. Right. You know, and so even if one in well, a thousand, probably. well, probably, but yeah. even if only one in a thousand raspberry seeds don't need the scarification, that's one in a thousand, and you can, you know, if you grow ten thousand of them, you get ten plants, kind of thing. Right, so it could have just fallen off and not been scarified, and maybe that was the one mm-hmm. that could have grown. Yeah. Just and so that was what you said was first thing to do is just plant them and see what happens. Like plant a bunch of them like in a row, and and see if you can get anything to come up. Or we even talked about like maybe planting some of them inside in sterile soil, so um, they don't get overwhelmed by weeds until they decide to germinate. Yeah, if anything comes up, then it'll be that. Mm-hmm. And and so there was that idea, and so that has no scarification at all. So it's like basically a little bit of trial and error and seeing what you can get to work. Right. Then the next thing is is like okay, let's try scarification and we'll try different degrees of it, you know, mm-hmm. and and find out which which degree of scarification works the best, if scarification works at all. Right. Because it could be some Maybe it other needs to recipe. Maybe in a forest fire. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it needs to be run through uh, something that's not a bird. Run through mm-hmm. some other kind of critter. Right. Uh, and <clears throat> and maybe that maybe that critter has to also eat something else to put, you know, uh, a booger sauce on it or something <laughs> in order for that germination to work out. Uh-huh. And so it's like it's it's a gamble. It's a thing to try, but it's a, but it can be tried. It is, you know, uh, uh, raspberries. In fact, when I, when we're talking about this, you're you're kind of like getting excited about the idea of like I'm gonna plant all <laughs> kinds of raspberry seeds. I'm gonna make it work my way. Well, it's a it's such a wonderful example of observation, and I overheard you guys talking about that too. That that's a big part of permaculture and just observing, and and just observing and appreciating all the wildlife that could be playing a part in all of these things mm-hmm. too is is very different, I think, and and very good. The next item I got on here, I think, is really cool. And so a lot of people are looking for land to be able to do some kind of garden. Mm-hmm. And um, and it sounds like uh, step one, grow a garden. Right. <laughs> it's kind of a little chicken-the-egg thing. But at this point in time, it sounds like you have to carry a stick with you wherever you go to beat back the people that are off that are saying, "Can you grow your
your things on my land. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, Get away from me. <laughs> Get back to the hole you came from. Uh-huh. Yeah. Land is a burden to its, its owners in a lot of cases because it's growing weeds, it's not cared for, it looks bad to the community. You know, it's a fire hazard. Whatever people's justification are, uh, I find a lot of people would really like something to be growing on their place that would be food for humans rather than food for wildlife or whatever. And and people just want me to grow stuff on their gardens. And I I don't know if that's specific to my village, but I'm guessing that it's pretty general across humanity that, you know, land is a burden to its property owners. And, and if somebody would come and take care of it, maybe mow it, or you know, once a year to keep the fire hazard down or something like that. They're they're delighted to have vegetables grown on it. It's um, awesome. Yeah. So now there's a couple of attributes to the arrangements you make with these landowners that I think is fascinating. <clears throat> mm-hmm. One is is that uh, you've got a 47-page contract. Oh, wait. <laughs> Did I write that down wrong? It's a, oh, how big is the contract? Uh, oh, wait. It doesn't exist. It doesn't <laughs> exist. It's like... I'll take care of your place. I'll give you some vegetables once in a while. All right, sounds good. Right, the the end. A handshake. And now, uh, usually a hug, but sometimes a handshake. <laughs> That's right. If you meet Joseph, he's a hugger. <laughs> so um, uh, it it seems like uh, oh, and then how much money uh, do you pay them? Nothing. Absolutely, bupkis. Uh, and, and so, and how much? Clear. And I think, I think at this point we're getting. You've grown enough that you're getting to the point that uh, they might be offering to pay you. <laughs> well, I should actually be charging people to take care of their places. I mean, it, if the true math of the situation were worked out. Now, I believe you've mentioned you mentioned to me earlier um, that when. Uh, you make an arrangement like this with somebody, you've got some ground rules. Like, I am allowed to hate your guts. <laughs> you can fuck off and die whenever I ask. Your, your ideas are stupid. Oh. Mine are good. Uh, I can't remember the details. Maybe you remember them better. Oh, that's about right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because <laughs> I propose the idea that people are so human, and so then you're going to start growing stuff on somebody's land, and then they're going to come to you with a bucket of crazy and say... Well, that that happens sometimes. Yeah. But whatever. Right. And, and by whatever, you can say, I'm glad to just walk away from that, and that'll all turn to dust in a couple of weeks. Well, it doesn't turn to dust, though. Because what I, what I plant there, the trees are still growing, the yeah. parsnips are still turning into weeds, the... The grapes are still producing, whatever. Okay. I mean, it doesn't turn to dust just because I'm not there. All right. Yeah. yeah. But the thing, but your attitude towards it is, what it, I, yeah. if you don't want me to be there, I'll go. And, I, and I'm going to... Uh, anytime I, you I'm gonna, are comfortable. I'm going to plant perennials and I'm going to plant trees. And I don't care if they 
produce or not. I I know I know I'm a I'm a vagabond. I come and I go, and the land can come and go. I got five fields. What do I yeah. care if any one of them disappears this year? So I mean, I I do care a little bit, but but I. And that's happened to me a number of times, but I've always got to harvest this season's crop off of it before before I had to right. be gone. So for now, with the five plots that you have, no drama. There's, but they're there very, was, they're stable and long term at this point. Yeah, but to get to this point, to have you know, there were plots in the past that came with a drama package. Yeah, and then you're kind of like, um. I've decided to not garden here anymore for reasons. <laughs> or, or, or no reason, whatever. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to go now. Yeah, bye. <laughs> and and, uh, um, and because human well, be- people I mean, are so human. There's divorce, people die, uh, people move away, you Life know, people happens. get sick and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so it's it's kind of like uh, no, I because each it sounds like each of your plots are anywhere from a quarter of an acre to almost an acre. Uh-huh. Is that about right? Right. And and, and it's kind of like I had a two acre plot last year that I don't have this year. Okay. And so it's kind of like man, no no big deal. Now I know that like Michael Polarski in in this area he gets like uh, uh, a couple of plots and he'll be he'll be managing like three or four acres, mm-hmm. and then it seems like every two years he moves. 500 miles away from where he just was. <laughs> but I know that, I've, uh, like, as part of his PDC, he's shown pictures of, like, here's this place where I lived there for two years, and I put in a food forest, and I went back eight years after I left, and here's pictures of this, you know, jungle uh-huh. of food, right. and it just kept going. And so basically, in a way, you're kind of going and doing some guerrilla gardening of sorts. Uh-huh. And granted, there's going to be some things that are going to be like, I miss Joseph so much, I'm going to die. And other things are like, I'm glad Joseph is gone. Now I can really take over. I want to kick these little bastards around. Yeah. Yeah. The the sunroots really like irrigation. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh. So uh, there's there's properties around town that um, you've blessed at one point or another, and uh, there's still the effects that are going. And right. then there's places where you've been active, and they they're a little different. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, there might you know the longer you're in a patch, of course, the the awesomer it gets. Right. It, it becomes know. more perennial and less annual. When, when it gets, and I was going to say perennial love, but now it doesn't make sense compared <laughs> to what you just said. <laughs> But but when the the if you've got a place that you've been loving on for seven years, it's probably more magnificent than a place. Of course. Yeah. It yeah. has more species and better adapted species and more trees and shrubs and bushes and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. So, but I guess the message I want to leave with, I mean, a lot of people talk about leasing land or right and uh, or or they make an arrangement of like uh, and I. I and I, as you were describing for me the arrangements that you had, I I kind of was imagining a scenario where it's like you're you're you would say, yeah, I can come and grow a garden there, and and what they're hearing because they're human beings, is 
I will be your slave for life if you let me grow <laughs> stuff there just once. And uh, and then, of course, a couple months go down the road, Then and then the scenario I proposed to you was that they would say, why haven't you landscaped all the rest of my property? Why are you only focusing on the stuff for you? Uh-huh. And then you would say something crazy like, because that's what we agreed to. <laughs> and then in their mind, it's like, no, you agree to be my, my, my personal slave for life. Uh, and that's not slave for life work. That's, <laughs> that's like doing your own thing. When do I get my... So, in which case, your response was like, you know what? I've just checked my watch, and it says I have to never <laughs> come back here again. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lady that sells at the Salt Lake Farmer's Market. Mm-hmm. And she grows only on little postage stamp sized backyards in Pe- in Salt Lake City, mm-hmm. right in the the densest urban area. And she does great. Nice. And and she might have uh, twenty different plots, you know. So the risk is spread wow. out, you know, way far. Right. And then as she gets into her fifth, seventh year, ninth year, then it's probably going. She'll probably be like. I'm on the same plots that I've been on for the last several years, and mm-hmm. and I'm just I'm good. I don't need more plots. Right. I don't want more plots. Uh-huh. Um, I suppose that if somebody was like, "But I really, really well, want to," and you'd be like, "Okay, do you know how, <laughs> do you have a checkbook, buddy?" Kids? <laughs> but but how what, many zeros can you put on one of those? What, what <laughs> she's been doing is starting mm. fresh farmers. Mm. What, mm-hmm. You know, and she gets oh like yeah, that. especially if you can find somebody who has. Aptitude. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so um, uh, that would, yeah, that sounds like that would be amazing. And that would kind of really transform a city to have lots more of that. Uh-huh. But, yeah, you do got to kind of get past the, the people that are human. Right. Actually, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I oh, or, or you just play to accept that people are human and... You deal with it as you go along. Well, right. And that's part of what it is. But, um, man, some people, like, in well, order to get more, <laughs> what we've, we've trained human beings uh, to be like, hey, if you can be super crazy and hostile, you get double candy uh-huh. than, than people that are not. Uh-huh. All you got to do is play that card. And I think that they've been trained to play that card. And... And then, um, so I think I think the thing to do is to be prepared when getting into a relationship like that. But that's a card that can be played. Right. And, of course, you don't want to be on the receiving end of that card. And so then as long as you embrace the whole strategy of, like, oh, look at, my, look at the time. It's time for me to go away forever. That's the time. Yeah. It says it right on the watch. See? Yeah. I wrote it on my wrist with this pen. <laughs> See where it says fuck off and die? <laughs> It's a minute past. Uh. <laughs> so, um, <clears throat> let's see. The next note I have on here, oh, and that leads into this really exciting space, but you wanted to talk about Sorrel because you're so excited about <laughs> Sorrel. So I was running the other day in the Badlands. I'm having a hard time following you on that one. but Barefoot. <laughs> I, I do a lot of barefoot. Yeah. I do a lot of barefoot. And... And I noticed there was a sorrel plant growing out of the snow. And so I ate it, and it was a beautiful, fresh vegetable. The first beautiful, fresh vegetable I had since uh, October, something like that. And 
And so then I went home to my garden and I found the row of sorrel plants in my garden and I ate some more because I was really liking a vegetable that would grow under the snow. And that was really nice. pleasing to me. Kind of a citrusy, lemony flavor. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I'm not going to eat it every day, but it's because just that not... would make you sick. Yeah, but it's just nice to have some fresh food in the middle of winter. Yeah. That's awesome. In Utah. In Utah. Which right. is famous for its tropical winters. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's one of those crops that I, I'm sure must grow under the snow. That's awesome. I, I, I don't know how else to explain how it does so well in the winter. And then that got us kind of going on a whole new topic. Because one of the things is is that sorrel, um, while being lemony delicious, um, it's also one of those things where you eat it for a little bit, and then you're kind of yacked out on it. Uh-huh. Like, like you'll eat... I, I mean, like, not even a salad's worth, not even a quarter of a salad. You eat a right. few. You eat just a little bit. And you're like, wow. The first the first one, you're like, man, my mouth says, <laughs> stuff your gob, uh-huh. you know? And then about the fifth or sixth one, your your mouth says, all done, but all done, it, it, it's no nice more. It's nice to be self-limiting. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, so then we kind of got the idea of, of like, then, then, then the next thing that came up is a lot of people do a lot of gardening and they grow a lot of greens, but it's like there's really not enough calories in greens to sustain you. Mm-hmm. I mean, greens have their place. And, um, and, and for some people, they will never eat gr- greens ever of any kind right. if it's green. Their policy is that's what food eats. <clears throat> um, and then and then it's like that's and which brings up a whole different topic. And it's kind of like, you know, what the amazing thing about a chicken is that they'll go out and they'll eat a bunch of that stuff, and then they'll turn it into these wonderful little food pellets that have mm-hmm. a decent shelf life and uh, full of proteins and fats and everything that's good for you. Uh-huh. They were going to turn it into a new chicken, which would be such a waste. Well, <laughs> maybe not. But the important thing is is that you can you can eat these food pellets. And I know Jocelyn wants me to eat 47 of these food pellets a day. Um, and, and Jocelyn's like, do you want some eggs? How about now? And I made a little something with eggs. <laughs> uh, part of that came from another book I listened to called the perfect health diet yes oh are they saying like eggs are full of perfect health diet well the egg yolks are full of choline and most americans are deficient in choline i am are you you've Mm -hmm. had it tested yeah Yeah? so egg yolks and butter are two of the best sources of choline and they recommended three egg yolks a day in that book so then we got to talking about like what are a bunch of other winter greens that grow that chickens would like to convert into these egg-shaped food pellets? Uh-huh. And um, and so, of course, you, you took the, the best one right off the top of the list. What, chickweed? Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. Got, it's got the word right in it. And, and then um, uh, the, the next one that you mentioned also was kind of a winner like that. Buck, 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 choy. 
So, uh, and, and now you're saying, so now I haven't noticed much chickweed growing in the winter, but, but you're saying you do see chickweed well, growing it, in the winter. Well, it germinates in about October, and it grows all winter long. So it's a winter annual. Uh-huh. I and never it, knew that about chickweed. And it, it flowers like, well, snow's still on the ground kind of thing. Ooh. Now that's a rarity. Yeah, so it's like, you know, ice plant, but not ice plant. It's so like... <laughs> Okay, so in Utah, you're saying that it may be flowering in early March. Mid-March. Mid-March. So when you're also looking for stuff to, to, for a, a, a three-season harvest for honeybees, chickweed might be a big win in that space as well. I haven't paid attention. Okay. The, the flowers are little tiny. They are tiny. But honeybees... It, it might be possible. Yeah, okay. be an early forage mm-hmm. thing for them. Yeah, maybe. really stretching the season. We them. haven't had a lot of chickweed here at our property in Montana that I've mm-hmm. noticed. Maybe up on the lab more. And, yeah. But um, there used to be a lot of chickweed in the Seattle area, but I hadn't noticed the growing season out there. That's mm-hmm. just a very different growing. Next? Spinach. If I plant spinach in... Like with the arrival of our fall monsoonal rains, then it grows really good all winter long. And I can harvest it myself or my chickens eat it like crazy. Okay. So either i got to fence them out or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. Or grow enough for everybody. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and then I've, I remember once I uh, bought a sack of field peas and the chickens got in it and wiped out a good half the sack before I spotted what was going on. Uh-huh. Um, but you were saying winter peas, so there's the Austrian winter pea. Yeah, grow those for greens for the chickens during the winter. And so you usually plant those in the fall. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I mean, it's like whenever the winter gets to have a warm enough day, then they a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. well, in my garden, the winter peas more or less go dormant for the winter and then take off in the spring. Okay. They don't really grow under the snow like rye wood or something like that. Okay. All right. Um, <clears throat> watercress, of course, needs water. Yeah. But there's lots of streams around that are like springs and they're, they have open water all year long. And watercress grows in those really well. Hmm. Now, at our place, we a fair amount of dandelion, and the dandelion, we, we can usually find it green around here all year. Yeah, I was eating dandelions a couple of days ago Okay. on, on my run. And I'm, I'm mentioning this because you were about to say how you don't like to eat dandelion. I, I don't. But then but you said, I ate I dandelion two days ago. I, and I was I, like, I, man, I, was, <laughs> I knew where this conversation I, was going, and then you took a left turn. <laughs> I taste dandelion, okay, all but right. I don't like eating dandelion, but I always taste it when I see it. <laughs> distinction. So now, because uh, I, I go, I go on foraging when I'm running, and whatever I find wild that's edible or allegedly edible, I like to nibble on it. Okay, try it out. Um, we tend to eat a little bit of the greens, and we don't we don't work too much into our stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, because it's powerful, right? You know, as a green, 
And um, while I've eaten blossoms, dandelion blossoms a few times, um, that's kind of like, uh, I don't do that very often. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I know that some people do the um, the dandelion blossom fritters, but um, it just seems like once in a long time I might eat a blossom. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the greens end up in our food um, a fair bit, uh, usually more often cooked than not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we had eggs and greens this morning. So mm-hmm. in, you know, I'll go out and harvest greens, a lot of wild greens to put mm-hmm. in our greens under our eggs. But but the dandy, the chickens don't care if they eat a dandelion. Oh, chickens yeah. love the dandelions. <laughs> yeah. They'll obliterate. I mean, that's like one of the first things they go for nearly every time is right. the dandelions. And that's like that. And so then, and, and they, and they grow like, great under the snow. Oh, so now you think that they get, because that's something where I feel like I want to observe this more. I want to, like, mm-hmm. go and, like, take a picture. Take photos and, yeah. Yeah, like, did it grow? <laughs> or is it just but, staying but, green? But it, but even if they're <laughs> not growing under the snow, they're taking off the day the snow melts kind of thing. Yeah. yeah so now, again, yeah. you gotta got to take those pictures just to be sure. Right. Yeah. I think that would be a worthwhile video kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um uh, but the big thing is, is it's like if you've got lots and lots of dandelions, and and of course don't eat the stems. Some people do eat the stems. They say they make like a spaghetti out of it. And yeah, yeah. see now, yeah. so the pod people, you can't see the face that it, it just, was a really ugly face, by the way. <laughs> it's like it's so gross. The face you make when something's bitter in a bad way. Yeah. Not, uh, not bitter in a good way, like chocolate is bitter or coffee is bitter, and some people like those, but bitter in the no, bad way. Well, those, those, what you do is you fix the bitter with sugar. <laughs> you put enough sugar on it, now it's like, oh, it's kind of a tasty thing. Tastes way better than just eating sugar. <laughs> so, so I'll tell a story about my watermelons. Okay. I'm selecting for yellow fleshed watermelons. Because the the chemical that makes the red flesh taste bitter to me, oh, and so I can grow watermelons that are lo- have a low to, lower total sugar in them, because I get what I get in my climate, mm. but they taste sweeter, huh. and and so that's how I'm approaching growing watermelons in my climate. Interesting. Wow. I hadn't thought about that. That is good. Now, uh, um, the important thing about dandelions is if you grow tons and tons of dandelions, then you can turn them into those um, food pellets that come out of a chicken's butt. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's like dandelions are are uh, an awesome and powerful and magical winter crop. But now you had an interesting thing to say about kale growing in the winter and the relationship with chickens. My chickens aren't eating it for whatever reason. There's lots of other things that they want to eat more, I suppose. Now, i got to agree with your chickens. <laughs> <laughs> Who the fuck wants to eat raw kale? It's well, like, kale's good if you prepare it. And so the, maybe what the chickens are <laughs> hey, Joseph, why don't you cook that proper, and then we'll eat it. I changed my whole attitude towards kale. I'm only mm. going to eat kale that has overwintered. And is oh. is growing first thing in the spring, because in my garden, if I grow kale, it ta- in the summer it tastes bitter. So my strategy is to plant kale in October, and harvest it in March and April, and then I'm done with kale for the year. Then it's not bitter; it's sweeter. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And tender and. Huh. Cool. <laughs> 
kale is tender. <laughs> Are you sure it's kale? <laughs> of course, you know, I, I select for tender kale. If it's going to oh, be okay. fibrous, I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I, I think I think that uh, that kale is awful until somebody who knows how to cook has, has uh, done something to it. Uh, I think it's horrid even then, unless it's, <laughs> unless it's properly selected and properly grown. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, another one that you mentioned was mallow, uh-huh. and we get we have a lot of mallows around here. Yeah. And and so, but now were my, you saying that my my chickens don't eat it very much? Um, yeah. I I every once in a while cook a bit of mallow with some eggs poached on top of it. Uh, um, it's not my favorite, but it's not really nasty flavored or anything like that. It's just a boring green. Yeah. We were just brainstorming different greens that might be around during the winter. And, winter. and my chickens aren't eating it particularly much, but they would if I if it was all I provided for. Them. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't seem like a great way to raise chickens. Yeah, know, but whatever. Like the thing is give them give them a lot of variety, and then they choose, them choose what's yeah. what's good. Um, mint. Yeah. Um, I, I just I've I've just not noticed any mint growing in the winter. I've seen I've seen mint take over areas uh-huh. like in the late spring. Well, in my place right now. The mint is already sprouted, and it's about three quarters of an inch high. You know, and it, yeah. it's still snowing and whatever. I've seen it sprouting here too, mm-hmm. which is, yeah. Well, part of what we have to do here is we have because we've got one paddock next to the house, mm-hmm. and what we need is like to get to twelve paddocks around the house because the wild turkeys can get over one of our fences. They, uh, they'll fly over their eight-foot-tall fences, and uh, they, they can fly. So what they do is they get into our single paddock and right. in the winter. And, of course, proving that you've got winter chicken feed <laughs> by going through and systematically obliterating every speck of anything that's green. Right. right. Which Fred was just pointing out that over there above the, uh, the drain field, the septic tank drain field, mm-hmm. that uh, we've got this patch where, um, of course, it's warm because right. of the warm water coming from the house. And it's fertile because of poopy bits. <clears throat> and um, uh, so there's you know a bunch of grass grows, and there's even some grass that grows uh, in the wintertime. Uh-huh. And he says it's like, you go out there right now, it's like a... Um, like a golf course. Golf it's course. Mowed it's mowed so well by the wildlife. Yeah, they've, right. they've obliterated everything there so thoroughly and completely. But um, that's why we have the gulag for growing Sepulter's grain, is because if we didn't have the gulag, then the the turkeys would utterly and completely obliterate all or of deer. Sepulter's grain. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, but keeping deer out is easier than like right right now our eight foot tall fence is keeping, keeping the deer, deer out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the turkeys. Yeah. You know, it's and then um, with our we had uh, gulag 1.0. Did a good job of keeping the the turkeys and the deer out, but then um, uh, it's either birds. I think it was birds. Really, birds and or chipmunks, uh, and or I'm not sure who to hate precisely. <laughs> so I'll hate everybody equally. Uh, Somebody yeah. went and uh, we. I managed to grab some of the the grain before it was all gone, but something got in there and was obliterating it. So now Gulag 2.0 should keep all of those guys out 
and and we'll have hopefully this year it will have a very good Holzer grain crop. Mm-hmm. Right. And we won't be very selective because it's like <laughs> we don't have much. We started with 42 grains. Whoa. Yeah, and so we're trying to can we get it up to like pounds and then we can start being really selective. Uh-huh. So, and then the last two um, came from uh, the two of you talking. Just trying to brainstorm and guess onions and chives. Mm-hmm. I, you know, chives seem to come up pretty early at times. But I, we're just trying to think some greens, and there were some greens you were trying to think of that would be good winter greens for chickens. But and I've I've got a list somewhere that I made of of the things that I like to grow for feeding chickens in the winter time, and uh, and of course the. And we're talking about greens, and the thing I keep thinking of at the top of my list for <clears throat> chicken food would be winter keeper apples, where mm-hmm. the tree holds the apples through most of the winter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because then when the chickens are around the ground, then it's like by the time they come to a new paddock, there will always be like, you know, 50 new apples that have dropped since the last time they were there. Mm-hmm. And the other one is the sunchokes, with which Joseph, you're saying like your chickens don't seem to care about sunchokes, mm-hmm. and so I don't know what it is. Sometimes chickens well, are like, well, I'm, my, I'm not letting my chickens do a lot of digging in the garden. Yeah, I let them out for an hour a, a night kind of thing. Okay, all right. Whereas I'm going to do paddock shift. I'm going to move them mm-hmm. around from paddock to paddock. Yeah, and so they probably mostly go through for the bugs first, and then, yeah. Yeah. All right, we're almost to the end of my list, uh, <laughs> of our list, seeing that Jocelyn started these lists. Uh, hey, so we've got some stuff here about wildcrafting, and um, uh, and this is something that I think I've, I've noticed many times myself, but there are exceptions. And so you were saying something about... Like right now, in the middle of winter, you're finding berries. Yeah. Well, so I'll, when I'm on my runs and I see a berry bush or a tree or whatever, it's really common for me to take it and put a berry in my mouth. And if it tastes bitter, that's a sign to me that it's poisonous, so I spit it out. Uh, pretty easy. <laughs> uh so I think when, when but if it tastes so you know good, who, you eat it. You yeah. know who Thomas Elpel is? I don't know Thomas Elpel. Okay, so he's the author of Botany in a Day. Oh, I I love that book. Okay, all right. All right. So you <laughs> yeah. do know him. I do know Just him. Just remember his name. Yeah. Okay. So um, uh, we've done a bunch of stuff with Thomas Elpel, and um, I remember I was there. It was when I was recovering from my spinal cord thing. And uh, so I had to, like, bring this little chair with me and sit on it every time he stopped to talk about something. But... Um, <clears throat> it was a wild edibles walk in Missoula. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's nice. And so then he would, like, say, see, this this is, this is poisonous and toxic. It's really very poisonous. And then he'd pop it in his mouth and chew on it. And he'd be like, <laughs> yeah, that tastes terrible. <laughs> That's awful. Uh-huh. And then he'd spit it out. And, it's right. like, and then he's like, then this plant here... This is also extremely toxic. And then he'd put it in his mouth. And it's like, so you're kind of getting the idea that it's like even the most extremely toxic stuff isn't all that toxic if he's still going to put it in his mouth to be like, yep, that sure does taste bad. (laughs) (laughs) So so there's that. And plus... If you find something, and and there is the whole school of thought of like, oh, if you're really, really savvy in this stuff, you'll know it's edible, but it still isn't palatable. Right. And it's like, you know, if you don't like the taste of it, maybe it's edible um, because it contains certain nutrients for some people. 
but you're not one of those people. Uh -huh. I'm like, you don't, you've got plenty of whatever that nutrient is. In fact, you got so much of that nutrient that now it's a toxin. Uh -huh. And if you have any more, <laughs> that's bad for you. So spit it out. Well, well, when I'm foraging, I can eat any berry that I find and it's not going to hurt me. But if I eat a hundred of them or a thousand of them, then there might be consequences. Right. And, That's a good point, too. And so, you know, I start out slow. And if I, I eat it and it works for me and I don't get an upset stomach and I don't get all loopy, you know, then I might eat it more next time. But you did find one. There's an exception. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's an exception. <laughs> so the nightshades are a little bit iffy for me as far as detecting poison in them. Uh, some lady sent me some seeds from this beautiful berry she found, and she was calling it a potato berry, but it obviously wasn't when it started growing. And so I grew it for the whole growing season, and it, and I ate a few of them all along just to make sure, you know, they were nice berries. They were sweet and with a tanginess to them, so they were fine. And then one day I was harvesting seed from them, and I was tasting berries from every fruit before I, before I um, extracted the seeds. Before I saved the seeds from them, and so I ate a few hundred of the berries. And then about six hours later, I got sick, a stomach ache worse than I ever had in my whole life. So I got up in the middle of the night and looked up the name of the species and I looked up the symptoms that manifest six hours after you eat it uh, <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> uh, and it said I was either going to die or I would survive and so I took a magic marker and wrote the name of the species on my on my chest with a note that said sorry family <laughs> something like that <laughs> and went back to bed <laughs> So you're here. Come on, uh, I was fine. <laughs> so, I mean, the thing is, is it's possible that um, some berries from the nightshade family will taste good, but kill you. Right, but they'll usually make you throw up or something more than before they kill you. Okay. All right. All right. All right. So, so playing in this space, there are risks, but there's also, you know, your systems are going to be pretty good at protecting you. Um, and, and of course, I think that the, the, the thing with wildcrafting is, 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 um, taste it first. Mm -hmm. And, and if it tastes bad, definitely well, spit well, it out. Even just smell it first. If it smells no. bad, don't even put it in your mouth. There you go. There you go. Um, so smell first. If you don't, if it doesn't smell good, why put it in your pie hole? Mm -hmm. uh, if it smells all right, then you taste it, uh, and it tastes bad, spit it out, right. and that'll probably be the end of it. Um, and then the next thing is, is that you might try to, um, if if you do fine after tasting it, the next day you might try to actually swallow one. <laughs> <laughs> if it tastes good and everything, and uh -huh. it's like, and then uh, and then you can you know go from there. And, and this is kind of like how a lot of wild crafting stuff goes. Right. But there are some exceptions. Isn't poison hemlock an exception? I don't know. I think I'm, I'm not going to be eating poison hemlock. Right. right. I mean that. It doesn't even appeal to me to go dig that kind of thing up. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. I, I think sometimes people mistake it for 
other, you know, the Queen Anne's lace or the wild carrots. The Queen has hairy legs. Ah, there you go. Yeah. They they have uh, fur or fuzz on them. And the poison hemlock has like red stripes or something on the It's stem. a bright red plant, bright red stems. Bright red stems. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of it growing in the Seattle area. Yeah, and I think a taste of that could be more dangerous. Mm-hmm. So that's one I you know, I just wanted to point that one out. The last note I have here is that you, sir, feed field corn to your chickens in winter. Yes I do. <laughs> I, I, well, well, earlier we were talking about keeping the the separate kinds of corn separate, like the popcorn separate from the flower corn, separate from the sweet corn. I also grow corn that's just corn, and because the chickens are going to eat any kind of corn that I I throw to them, mm-hmm. and so whatever, and so I shell some of it. I throw the cobs in with the leftover kernels on them. Whatever, and they just eat whole corn. Right, because they'll break it up in their crop. Yeah. Yeah. Or and when I'm winnowing seeds and stuff, I winnow over a tarp, and then there's lots of seeds and stuff that, and chaff and stems that go to the chickens as well. Right. I bet they love that. They do. Yeah. yeah. They'll pick at it for weeks. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Be a little more efficient than mm-hmm. just you know. Um, Threshing and winnowing, and and which by the way we also talked a little bit about threshing, and mm-hmm. um, I believe your thresher is what's also known as a. Oh, it reminds me of a joke. <laughs> what's brown and sticky? A stick. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so well, uh, I, your thresher is a stick. Yeah, I like doing all of my threshing with human scale techniques. So I'll I'll pick the plants and. I try not to pull them up by the roots because then I bring dirt with me. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to cut them off at just above soil level, put them on a tarp and let them dry a little longer. Then I'll jump up and down on them or hit them with a stick or whatever to separate the seeds from the plants and then winnow. Um, that's pretty much my strategy for most dry things with little rinky-dink seeds. Unless I'm picking like beans, and then I'll pick the whole plant and bash it against the inside of a garbage can, hmm. and then winnow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, but but human scale, like I can harvest wheat, um, enough wheat to feed me a week in about an hour's worth of labor. You know, so very good return on investment, even for things that that we think that a machine does. <laughs> well, yeah, the, now I drove combine for many years mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> wow, those are amazing. Uh so 11 minutes of a combine, you've got enough food to feed a person the rest of their life. Uh-huh. <laughs> and and um so it's 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 really quick and and so then after driving a combine for many years and seeing this happen and knowing how the innards of the combine works, then um, when I'm trying to uh, uh, thresh by hand, then it's like, that's all I got? I've been at this for over an hour. And so it, it is a little frustrating. Um, uh, 
But yeah, there are some techniques that are better. And one one is is let that stuff get good and crisp and right. dry uh-huh. and crispy dry, extra extra crispy dry. That helps. And I'm fortunate to live in a desert. <laughs> yeah, that makes that easy. Yeah. yeah. You did say you had the machine for doing the corn, though. What I, I have a corn sheller. Um, manufactured in 1890, so it's yeah. robust and it'll outlast me. Lovely. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also something you don't use every day. Right. I yeah. use it a couple days a year. Yeah. 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 To yeah. process that. Yeah. All right. Anything else? No. We'll have links in the notes. Anything else from you, Joseph? If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about seeds, homesteading, and permaculture all All the the time. time. (laughs) Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash paulwheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.